Good morning. Lovely to see you, lovely to be here. This is the first time since we've, we started up in January that I've preached at both services. I've just been up at Alder Road for coming down here. Actually, it's been the first time in, in the best, well, over a year, because, of course, last year we were all together here, so uh, I'd forgotten what it was like to have to preach fast, drive quickly, try and find a parking space and get in here, but we made it. Yes. Um, in five weeks' time, I'll be going on sabbatical. I'll be away for three months on sabbatical, and so actually a couple more times between now and then I'll be here so that I just want to have a bit more opportunity to connect with people before I disappear, so hopefully you don't all forget me entirely. And if you are new, you need to think, who is he anyway? My name's Matthew. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I'm usually based up at other congregation at Alder Road. Okay, there's no slides this morning. It'd be really helpful if you could have a Bible in front of you, if a Connect team... Others maybe can help pass some Bibles around, that would be awesome. And uh, when you get a Bible, if you can open to the letter to Titus, which is on page 1198, page So as Vic said, this morning we're starting a, just a four-week series called Family Values. Last Saturday, Easter Saturday, my daughter Susie was standing here getting married, and um, we hope, Grace and I, that we have sent Susie and her new husband Pete off with some good family values that she has learned from us, but as they start married life together, they will have to work out and build values for the new family they are forming, and uh, church is a bit like that, that we are a family, we're part of the vast family of God that stretches throughout the earth and throughout time, and we are then members of a little local family called Gateway Church, and it's important that we know what our values are, and um, so we want to dig into that over the next four weeks. Before Easter, we were doing our series on the air we breathe, looking at how we engage with some issues in in our culture, which are helping us think about our values. And we're, in a sense, continuing that over the next four weeks as we look at the Apostle Paul's letter to his friend Titus. Now, this is one of what we call the pastoral epistles. Paul, uh, Apostle Paul wrote to three of his friends with letters we have recorded in the New Testament. There are two letters to his friend Timothy. There's this letter, letter to Titus, and there's a letter to Philemon. And these are very personal letters uh, Paul writing as a spiritual father to spiritual sons, writing to his friends. And they're also very helpful to us in understanding what church life is meant to be like. Because in these letters, the Apostle Paul deals with some very practical matters about how church should be organized, what it, how people are to relate to one another in the church, what that is meant to look like, what the family values of the church are meant to be. And so our intention over these four weeks is to as we work through this, let's look at four, four family values which we see in this lesson which we think should help define our family here at Gateway Church as well. And what we're starting with this morning is the family value of having a big vision. And we're going to see that in the first four letters of this book, this, the first four verses of this letter. That's a better way of expressing it. Right, here we go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, 
in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. One sentence, trying to get a breath in there somewhere as I was reading it. One long sentence, one big vision, which Paul is hoping Titus will see. Paul is expressing as he introduces this letter to his friend. Now, my desire for us and Rich and Nathaniel, the other elders, Gordon and other leaders, the team here would want us as a church to have a big vision for that to be a family value for us, to have a big vision. And what the gospel does, you come to know Jesus, what that does is to call us into into largeness, into bigness. If you go into McDonald's, uh, Grace and I were away for a few days this week and recovering from the wedding and one lunchtime, we were hungry, we just went into McDonald's, let's get a McDo's, we're going to go into McDonald's, get on the screen, just have a burger, it says, do you want to make that a meal? Oh, go on then, do you want to make it large? Why not? That's what McDonald's does, let's make it large. That's why you shouldn't go in there too often, or you end up being large. <laughs> but what the gospel does is call us into largeness. The gospel calls us into bigness. And if you think about the context of this letter, think about the context of of who's writing it. The Apostle Paul, he was a Jew, and not only a Jew, he was a Pharisee. This was a very strict sect of Judaism, and a Pharisee's natural tendency would have been just to hang out with other Pharisees, and just to study, to be cloistered away. I'm sure that would have been the Apostle Paul's natural inclination as a Jew, as a Pharisee, just to cloister away with just a small circle of trust, those who were like him, believed what he believed, just hide away with them and study the scriptures together. That was what he would have done, wanted to do. A friend of mine, another pastor in town, was leading a tour to Israel just before Easter, and he told me that they got onto the plane flying to Jerusalem, and he was sitting next to a very strict religious Jew on the seat next to him, and and, and this person sitting next to him was praying throughout the flight, keep me from becoming impure, keep me from becoming impure. And that's because for a strict religious Jew to sit next to a Gentile is a threatening thing because there's this concern that he would have been made impure by sitting next to somebody who was not Jewish as he is. Now that would have been the Apostle Paul's mental attitude, to be kept pure, to be kept away, to be cloistered away. But that isn't what happened. That isn't how Paul's story ended up because Paul had an encounter with Jesus which blew all that out of the water. Paul had an encounter with Jesus which radically transformed him. And rather than being just a a Pharisee hiding away with other Pharisees, Paul became a man who traveled widely and constantly. Read the book of Acts. Read the extraordinary journeys that Paul undertook around the whole Mediterranean region. Absolutely amazing. And he intentionally connected with all kinds of people. He was now friends with, partners with, reaching out to, speaking with, ministering to, witnessing to people from all kinds of backgrounds, nationalities, ethnicities, all of it. His life was radically transformed, made massively enlarged by his encounter with Jesus Christ. And he's writing to his friend Titus on the island of Crete, and that's a long way from Jerusalem. And the Cretans were not 
clean people. As we read the letter, we'll see how they're described. They were notorious for their lack of moral character. They were not the kind of people that a Pharisaic Jew would naturally have hung out with. But Paul's horizons have been hugely enlarged by his encounter with Jesus Christ. And we must remember that we are part of a family and part of a mission that is globe-spanning. Wasn't it great a couple of weeks back to have Ryan Marshall and Josh Eldridge from the States with us? Such a blessing. And uh, uh, in October next year, Richard's planning a trip to Zimbabwe to a church we're connected with there and hoping to take a few people. If you want to go to Zimbabwe next October, Rich, have a chat with him. Uh, The brochures will be ready soon. And just yesterday, I got a message from another pastor about a, a church in Ghana who we've been able to help buy some land for to build a church building. That, that is, this is normal life for us, to have friends from the States come and visit us and for us to go and visit friends in Zimbabwe and to be connected with and supporting a church in Ghana to build a property for themselves. That's normal for us because we've been brought into this, big, this globe-spanning vision of what we're part of, the church of Jesus Christ. But the thing is, it's it's easy for us to get small-minded and introspective. Actually, for most of that's probably the natural tendency. We, we tend to spiral in and down when we need to be looking up and out. But we tend, naturally, just to get consumed with the smallness of our own lives and just get contracted down into that kind of thing. And we need to be pulled out of that into what is bigger. When um, Grace started trail running with me. I had to teach her not to look at her feet. Don't look at your feet, because if you're out running on the trails and rough ground, looking at your feet is a thing that will guarantee you fall over. If you're not going to fall over, you have to look ahead. That's what keeps you on your feet rather than off your feet. But we tend, our natural tendency as human beings is always just to look at our feet. But what the gospel does is cause us to look up and out to the world, the wide vision that God has given us. And so what Paul is doing in the introduction to this letter is setting out a big vision. He's writing to his friend Titus on Crete. And that was a a tough assignment. This was not an easy place to lead a church. It was not a honeymoon destination. My daughter has gone to Crete on her honeymoon. I hope she's having a great time. When Titus was there, he was not there on his honeymoon. It was a tough assignment. It was hard work. And so the way that the Apostle Paul introduces this letter, the vision he sets out is really significant. What we we see is that Paul begins with a a personal sense of his own vision and identity. He introduces him. Titus knows who Paul is, but Paul still reminds him, this is who I am. I am Paul. I am a servant of Jesus Christ and an apostle called by him. He, He knows who he is. He knows what he's been called to. And that gives him a sense of direction and purpose. He's a servant, a servant of God. And being a servant of God is an enlarging thing. Being a servant of God is not a demeaning thing. Being a servant of God is what pulls us into a bigger world. It pulls us into adventure. It pulls us into a bigger vision. It's enlarging. Paul knew he was a servant, knew that was good. And he knows that he's an apostle. An apostle is someone who's been sent. He's got a mission And we're an apostolic sent people as well. If you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church, you have a mission. You've been called. You've been sent out into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us need to know that we have been called. If you are a Christian, you have been called and you need to know it. 
in the introduction to another of his letters, letter to the Romans, Paul says this, you are among those Gentiles, those non-Jews, those other nations who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. If you know God, then you have been called. If you're a Christian, there is a calling on your life. You're known by God, you're loved by God, and you have been commissioned by God. Know who you are. Know what you're for. This needs to be our family dynamic at Gateway, a sense of clear identity. This is who we are, servants of God, sent by him. We've got a clear calling on our lives. We belong. We're part of the family. We need to know these things. These things need to shape us. It needs to be our values. And so Paul has this, this big vision for a big task, and so he pours out all these words, this long sentence, four verses of it, piling up on top of one another. Three, three particular things we can see from this. First of all, that we need a, a big vision of who God is. Big vision of who God is. God is the God, verse 2, who does not lie. Who is God? God is the one who does not lie. That is such an important statement, such an important reality. We're, we're so used to spin and fudge and downright barefaced dishonesty. That's the world in which we live. And if we're honest with ourselves, we might also be honest about how often we're not as honest as we think we are. All the little fudges that we make and half-truths that we tell to oil the path of life. God is not like that. God is the one who does not lie. This is something that God says about himself in Isaiah 45. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. This is what God says about himself, that he is the one who is truth, speaks truth. And that means that when we come to know God, we need to appeal to his truth. And we need to experience his truth. In Psalm 45, there's this appeal to truth. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. That's the kind of prayer we need to pray. Let us see your truth, O God, being displayed in our worlds. In Psalm 145, there's this promise of experiencing God's truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. That is true. The Lord is near. If you're a Christian, the Lord is near when you call to him. Even if it doesn't always feel like it, he is near. How do you know? Because he's the one who does not lie, and he said he is near. So if you call on the Lord in truth, he is near. That's the confidence that we need to have. In John 4, Jesus said, the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. The way that we are to come to God is truthfully, honestly, and the God of truth has been made known to us through Jesus Christ. John 1:14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here is Jesus, the one who's come from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what Jesus said about himself, John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is truth? Who is truth? Jesus is truth. How do you get to know the God of truth? 
through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's true. It's not a lie. God does not lie. He is the truth. And so we need to pray, God, let us see more of your truth. And we need to be a family that tells the truth. Some of you come from very dysfunctional families where lies dominate. The whole story, your whole family narrative is lie piled upon lie. Now, we need a vision for something better than that. We have a truthful father. And that truth is to set the tone for all the family. And so Paul says that his aim as a servant and apostle is to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. We need our faith furthered in this truth that we might become more godly. We need a genuine lived experience of God. We need a big vision of God, the God who does not lie. Second thing we can see is a big vision of what God is doing. And what God is doing is vast. Paul expects God to reorder the fundamental nature of the universe. He says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. There's an eternal promise made before the beginning of time of eternal life. Now, I I think that we can sometimes talk about eternal life a a bit glibly in the church. It's a phrase that rolls off our tongues. We sing songs about it. We can pray about it. Eternal life. But if you really think about eternal life, I think it can be one of actually the Uh, uh, one of the things which is hardest to accept in the Christian faith, and I'm not wanting to create problems for you this morning, but just just bear with me a moment. In our scientific age, the promise of eternal life feels really challenging, really difficult, because in our scientific worldview, eternal life just doesn't make sense, because we know that in the end, even the sun will burn out. Now, that's not going to happen for five billion years. There's five billion years of normal life left in the sun. The sun isn't facing an energy crisis. But in five billion years, the sun will turn into a red giant, a vast, dying star, which will consume the Earth. And then in about seven or eight billion years' time, the sun will cease to be. Now, science tells us that, and we look at that and think about that. Well, I do, anyway. I'm not trying to cause you problems. And think, well, if that's, even the sun is going to cease to shine, what does it mean when Scripture says that God has promised before time began that we would know eternal life? Seems a bit of a problem. And another problem is, to be honest, who would want to live forever? Honestly, who would? Maybe a bit longer than we do, maybe a century or so, but forever? That's a very long time. Who really wants to live forever? As the old fame song used to go, I want to live forever, I want to learn how to fly. I'd love to learn how to fly, I'm not sure I really want to live forever. It's a problem. We sing sometimes the song Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll still have no less days to sing his praise than when we first began. 
Now, the thing is that even 10,000 years is utterly unimaginable to my puny brain. I would have to live another 200 lives as long as I've lived in order to live 10,000 years. That is unimaginable to me. I just cannot even begin to comprehend that. So how on earth am I meant to comprehend 5,000, 1,000, 1,000, 5 billion years? It's utterly incomprehensible. So as I've thought about this, what I've decided is that rather than worrying about what I can't imagine, I'm going to lay hold of what God has promised because God does not lie. And what God has promised since before the beginning of time is eternal life with him. And what we know from Scripture about that is that means the life that we've always wanted. It means the, it means the world with all the dross burnt off. And I think we have scope and space for imagination. I think it means the exploration of all the universe, which is eternal and infinite. In Christ, all things will belong to us, his people. And so for all eternity, we will have everything to enjoy and explore. It's a promise that God has made, and God does not lie. And even that might be too big. That is, even that is too big to contemplate, because even 10,000 years is too big to contemplate. And so I think grasping hold of what is promised here means leaning, leaning into what we see God has done and what God is doing now, that God is bringing life to people now. There is life in the church of Jesus Christ. And that has been true for the entire history of the church. Four and a half thousand years ago, not even half of 10,000 years, but still too much for me to imagine, four and a half thousand years ago, God called Abraham. And ever since that day, there's been an unbroken chain of God's life at work in his people. Ever since that day, there's been an unbroken chain of people who have known, loved, worshipped God, laid hold of his promises, and experienced his truth in their lives. There is life in the church. There is life in Christ's church. And that life will go on eternally. How do we know? Because God, who does not lie, promised it before the beginning of time. And so we need to get a big vision of what God is doing. What is God doing? He's calling us into eternal life with him. Unimaginable, but true. And the third thing to see here is that we need big vision, big vision of the power of the gospel. The big vision of what God is doing has been brought to light, says Paul. Now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. God has always been at work, but the work that God is doing has now been brought to light. It can now be clearly seen. It's clearly seen by the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of the good news about Jesus Christ. And Paul wants Titus to have confidence in this because the whole reason that Titus is on Crete is so that he can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he can proclaim the light and see people coming into the light. And that's why in this letter there's a big emphasis upon teaching. When we get to chapter 2, it's all about what must be taught in the church. Why? Because it's as the truth of Jesus is taught that the light dawns, the light shines, and we see the truth of who God is. And so we here, Gateway Church, we are called also to declare this gospel. And we need to have confidence 
that the gospel does bring truth to light. Jesus coming into the world was bringing the light. He is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world who has shone into our hearts. And so we need to believe in the power of the gospel. We need to have vision for it. We need to have a a vision for the bigness of the gospel and the scale of its impact. That what we have been called into isn't a small thing, it's unimaginably vast. If you are a Christian, you have been called. You're known, loved, and commissioned by God. You're called to be a servant of Christ. You're called to go with the good news of the gospel to the world in which God has placed us. We have, by God's kindness, been brought into the light. That's what the gospel has done for us, and that's what the gospel continues to do. This is no small thing. This is a vast thing. This is something of eternal significance and consequence. And so there should be a sense of destiny about us. Gateway Church, there should be a sense of destiny about us. And that's not because of who we are. And we know that. We know that we're not very impressive. But we have a sense of destiny because of who he is and the scale, the bigness of what he has caught us up into. We need a big vision of the gospel. <clears throat> we need a, a, a big vision of who God is, a God who does not lie. We need a big vision of what God is doing, calling us into eternal life with him. And we need a big vision of the power of the gospel to bring people into the light of God's truth. What this big vision achieves is a, a sense of belonging. If you're part of this church, if you're a Christian, you should have a sense. This is, this is who we are. This is what it means to be part of God's people. This is our family. Bring it on. I love the, the, the motto for Dorset. Who's afeard? It's a, a kind of a very uh, uh, pugnacious motto for a county to have. Who's afeard? Come on, we're Dorset. We'll take on the world. And who knows? I mean, Bournemouth even managed to beat Spurs yesterday. Anything can happen. Who's afeard? And we should have something of that sense about us as Christians. Who's afeard? Come on, bring it on. And for Titus and Crete, he needed to have that confidence. It's a tough assignment. The Cretans were tough people. It was a hard place to minister. Come on, bring it on. Who are you? We're the people of God. Known by God, loved by God, commissioned by God, called by God, servants of God, sent by God. Bring it on. Who's afeard? And Paul says that he and Titus, Titus, my true son in our common faith. This, this is a family endeavor. I'm sure Titus had moments of feeling lonely, isolated in Crete, but he wasn't on his own. He was part of the family, sharing a common faith. The truth is, no matter how lonely you at times might feel, if you are a member of Christ's people, you're never alone. You've been called into a family. You belong. You belong. There's a place at the table for you. And this reality is built on the foundation of God's grace and peace. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I think, I think grace and peace is a, it's a bit like the family dinner table you, give, you gather around. What do we, as church, what do we gather around? Where do we find our place of home? It's when we know that God has lavished his grace, unmerited, unearned, freely given favor, blessing, acceptance, welcome, we gather to that, and the peace of God, 
that in all the trouble of life, we can experience peace in God. We can experience his rest. We, we, it's like we put up a chair at the family dinner table of grace and peace and share and talk together. It's the thing you gather around and celebrate. It's the thing which big vision can be built upon. And we do have a big vision as we put up our chairs around the table of God's grace and his peace and think about who we are, Gateway Church, what we're called to. We do have a big vision. We're called to, to reach BCP and beyond BCP for Jesus. We have a big vision to stand firm in a crazy world. The world is crazy. And just to keep our feet, well, that's a big vision, to stand firm amidst all the madness of this world. And we have a, a big vision of bringing light into the darkness. There is so much darkness in the world, but Jesus is the light, and he's caused the light to shine in our hearts. And by proclamation of the gospel, we can bring light to the world. We've got a vision for that. That's a big vision. That's no small thing. And we've got a vision that we are called to be a gateway to the kingdom of God for many. That's our name, Gateway Church. We've been called, commissioned to be a gateway to the kingdom of God for many. Our, our prayer, our mission is to see others enter into the kingdom of God, enter into his light, enter into his truth, enter into his promises, enter into an experience of grace and peace now and forever. This is our family. These are our values. This is our vision. King Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for us and what you've called us to. And I pray that we would be a family who understand that, grasp it, and live in it. May we see who you are and what you're doing and the power that has been entrusted to us. And as your faithful servants and sent ones, joyfully, gladly, live in and proclaim the blessings and mercies of God. We ask this now and forever, King Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.